Well, we are going to jump into this morning's message. This is part six of a series we've been doing called I Am. We've been looking at the seven I Am statements of Jesus found in the Gospel of John. He declared things like, I am the true vine. I'm the light of the world. I'm the resurrection and the life. Um, I'm the bread of life. We've been unpacking these for several weeks now. And John, uh, the same person who wrote this Gospel where Jesus made these statements, Several years later, he wrote the book of Revelation. And at the beginning of that book, there are two chapters that have these letters that were sent to seven churches in, in the area. He was on the island of Patmos and right off the coast of what is now Turkey. And these churches are all in what is now Turkey. And he wrote these letters. And we're seeing some unique connections that we can make between who Jesus said he was and what he's calling us to as the church both to correct problems that exist and to provide encouragement for growth in areas that are strong. And so that's what we've been doing as, as we've been unpacking this series. We're continuing this morning with part six, um, Jesus as the good shepherd. And so our, our primary verse this morning is John 10, 11. So let's start there. If you want to kind of save your spot, we're mainly going to be in John chapter 10 and in Revelation chapter three this morning. John 10, verse 11, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. So Jesus gives himself a title and then he explains what he means by that title. He says, I'm a good shepherd. I'm good at this, at shepherding and caring for a flock. And here's how good I am at this. Here's what I mean when I say I'm a good shepherd. What I mean by that is I'm willing to go to extreme lengths to take care of my sheep. I will, I will love sacrificially. I will go so far as to lay my life down for those that I love. Now, it's, it's interesting that Jesus uses this picture of him being a shepherd because it tells us a little bit of something about ourselves. If he's the shepherd and I belong to him, what does that make me? A sheep. I feel like I should get everybody to say bah this morning. <laughs> I won't make you do that unless you really want to. There you go. Thank you, Manuel. Thank you, Tony. All right. We're, we're sheep. Now, um, unfortunately, there's some things that are implied by being called a sheep. Sheep need a lot of looking after. Sheep are prone to wander off. All right. They need the care and the attention of a good shepherd. And the good news is for you and I, we have one. We have a good shepherd. Now, this, this picture of a shepherd is a common theme throughout Scripture. This isn't just unique to Jesus. In fact, when I say shepherd in the Bible, I'm guessing there's a name or two that maybe comes to your mind. But we see this through the lens of a few different examples I'm going to give this morning. Um, first of all, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The, the folks known as the patriarchs, the ones who, who turned into their offspring became the children of Israel, God's people. They lived a nomadic life. They cared for livestock. They cared for animals. They were shepherds. That was the life that they lived. Secondly, we fast forward a little bit to Moses. You know, we know Moses grew up in Egypt, and we know that Moses led the children of Israel out of Egypt, wandering in the wilderness, but he was a shepherd in that same wilderness for 40 years, watching over sheep before he ever led God's people through there. Isn't it interesting how often God took people in Scripture who learned to care for sheep 
and then had them lead people and care for his people. He did it with Moses. And then probably the most famous example, what name came to your mind when you think of the Bible and you think of a shepherd? David, right? King David, the one who killed Goliath. He grew up as a shepherd boy, taking care of the sheep. He cared for them. He protected them. Um, And then ultimately God had him not only lead his people as king, but God thought so highly of David that he said, from your line is going to come the eternal king, Jesus, the good shepherd we're talking about this morning. Now, probably a, a lesser known one that I just find interesting, and you're going to hear me say this over and over again over the years. Every single detail in the Bible matters. It's there for a reason. And God puts his fingerprint all over the place. The very first shepherd in the Bible was Abel. Abel was a shepherd. He cared for sheep. And in fact, he brought his first fruits, right? He brought the sheep as a sacrifice and God accepted it. I find it interesting that the first shepherd in the Bible was the first one killed in the scripture. Abel is the first death. He was murdered. And I think foreshadowing Jesus, the shepherd who would come and give his life for his sheep. There's no accidents in scripture. The Holy Spirit puts his fingerprint everywhere. Jesus is on every page. And so this theme of shepherds leading God's people is throughout scripture. And it points to Jesus, first of all, who he is, how he is going to lead. But it also teaches us what we need. I believe, and and we're going to unpack this a little bit as we go, But I believe one of the things that can be the biggest hang-up for us in our Christian walk is we don't understand the life Jesus has invited us into. If he's the shepherd and I'm the sheep, I have been invited into a nomadic lifestyle. I've been invited into a lifestyle where I'm never quite at home. See, in Bible times, Uh, the way sheep were cared for is different than what we see today. You didn't just buy a plot of land and put up a bunch of fences and stick them inside and say, all right, there you go, boys. Enjoy the grass. We got a pond here for you. They wandered looking, moving from place to place, finding a place where they could get pasture for a while, eating, and then moving on to the next place. They, They had to continually, these shepherds had to continually be taking the sheep to new places to find food to eat, and to find water to drink, and to find safety from predators. There was a constant movement to their life. Well, that's the life we've now been invited into. The scripture tells us we're strangers here. We're strangers. We, there's, there's a longing inside of us for a home that we're never going to quite have here on this earth. We're called ambassadors. We're called aliens. We're called strangers. These are biblical terms to describe us as followers of Jesus. Now, why why would I say that? What's so important about that? As we go along this morning, we're going to notice a couple of ways where we try to put down roots and make our home here on this earth. And when we do that, it will always lead us to feeling bankrupt. We will be dissatisfied. We will be missing out on something we're looking for. And so we're going to unpack that a little bit more as we go along. But I just want to propose to you that Jesus is a good shepherd, that we are his sheep, and he's inviting us into a life where we learn to follow him. And that means things move and things change. 
That means that there are times where there are predators around that want to attack the sheep. It means there are going to be times where it's tough to find food to eat. It's tough to find refreshment. But the good shepherd will lead us into those places to get what we need. So whether you're with me yet or not, whether you fully agree with what I'm saying or not, let's unpack this and see where we go. So um, let's start back in verse 1 and just work our way through the scripture here. John chapter 10, verse 1. Jesus begins to describe this idea of us being sheep and him being the shepherd. And he says in John 10, 1, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. So he says there are thieves and robbers that would attack or steal the sheep. Verse 2, But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. Now listen to what he begins to describe, this relationship between the shepherd and the sheep. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. That, that's describing a very personal interaction. I mean, for us, it might be weird to hear this dynamic of, of sheep, and we may not be very familiar with that. But do we have some people in the room that have a pet at home? You got any dogs or cats at home? Yeah, several of us. Okay, you can, you can imagine the relationship that exists where a pet is known, and we know them. We call them by their name. They recognize our voice. I mean, my dogs even know my tone of voice. They can tell the difference between dad's kind of playful and, and now dad's like, he means business right now. Like, we're getting in trouble. In fact, if I raise my voice sometimes at one of the kids, the dogs immediately, like their ears go back, their tail tucks. They're like, what'd I do? What'd I do? They're just assuming they're the one in trouble. They know my voice. Verse four, when he has brought all his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. So they hear and recognize his voice. He calls them by name. They, he leads them out. He takes us somewhere. And the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Verse 5. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. So a couple observations here for us. First of all, there are outsiders who long to harm the sheep. That's a fact of life. We have probably already encountered those people in our lives at times. We've been hurt and wounded by outsiders who don't love Jesus, aren't following him, and we deal with the repercussions of those interactions. And yet Jesus says, I'm a good shepherd. And so one of the things he provides is protection. So how does he do that? He invests in this personal relationship with us where we are known by him. You're not just a vague person in God's mind. You're not just generic church member that sits on that row in that seat week after week. He sees you. He knows you. He loves you personally. He cares for you. He knows what's going on in your life. He calls you by name. And he invites us into a relationship where we know that he knows us and cares about us, and where we know and recognize him. He says, my sheep know my voice. So I want to just kind of leave us with a question here to ponder. Whose voice is familiar to me? Whose voice is familiar to me? That's just something for you to kind of wrestle with. And the thing I want to throw out there is that there is a possibility 
that I am so familiar with another voice that I don't recognize the voice of the good shepherd in my life. I've, I've spent a lot of years walking with Jesus and walking with other people and, and a common thing over and over again that comes up is how difficult it is to hear God's voice. How hard it is to, to really experience that personal relationship with him. But, but I believe something about our God. I believe that he didn't just create certain special people that are the ones that get to hear from him and then everyone else has to listen to their voice to get led. I do believe God will give us, put people in our lives that will be shepherds and helpers along the way. But he's the good shepherd. He's the perfect shepherd that lays down his life for the sheep. He has made us so that we can hear his voice. We were designed to hear God's voice. The problem is there's a lot of other voices that are so familiar, we don't know how to hear them anymore. And so I would just encourage you to wrestle through. If you've ever struggled with that, just get real before the Lord and say, God, is it, is it maybe possible that there's so much other noise in my heart, in my mind, in my ears, so many other voices that I'm familiar with that is clouding my ability to hear yours? God, are there thieves in my life who are ripping me off from hearing your voice, the good shepherd? And just see what he may say to you. See how he might highlight something in your life where your ears are attuned somewhere else. But he's the good shepherd. He calls you by name and he invites you into a relationship where you can hear him and know him and follow him in the midst of being surrounded at times by thieves and robbers. Okay, skipping down a little bit to verse 11 where we started a minute ago. We're gonna continue on. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Verse 12, check this out. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. Now I want to pause there for just a minute. So Jesus tells us what a good shepherd looks like. He warns us to watch out for outsiders, thieves and robbers. And now he says there are insiders. There are hired hands. There are people who are supposed to be there in the midst of the sheep, guarding, shepherding, protecting, and they do a bad job. And when they do a bad job, something happens. Sheep get picked off. They get snatched up by the enemy or they get scattered away from the good shepherd and from the rest of the sheep and they're lost along the way. Guys, this is a reality of life that many, if not all of us, face. There are people who've, who've walked under shepherds who have harmed the sheep. And I just got to tell you something. Even the best shepherds will harm the sheep. You hang out with me long enough and I'm going to let you down. I'm not trying to make excuses for that or say it's right or it's not a big deal. I'm just saying I'm going to fail. I'm going to blow it. I'm an imperfect person. There are some shepherds who are flat out dangerous that, that really harm sheep. They might even be wolves in sheep clothing. But please hear me on this. If we allow hired hands to cause us to lose sight of the good shepherd, 
we miss out on the love and the goodness of God that is available to every single one of us. Too many believers have been ripped off by hired hands and we just fall back. We pull away from God. We begin to associate characteristics that we experience from those hired hands onto the good shepherd. Some of us experience this in our home lives. Our parents struggled, battled, and maybe failed us in some ways as the shepherds. Some of us have experienced this through pastors in our lives, children's ministry leaders, like what, whatever it is, a Bible study group you were in, like things happen, we get hurt. Sometimes intentionally, sometimes unintentionally, but please hear me, that is not a reflection of the good shepherd. He loves the sheep and guess what? He can heal and restore the places where we have been hurt whether by thieves and robbers from the outside or hired hands from the inside that have failed us. He can heal and restore. Man, I hope you guys can hear that. If you've, if you've walked that road or you're in the middle of that road, man, just know that Jesus loves you and he wants to bring you back into green pasture. He wants you to learn to try one more time to trust him as the good shepherd. And so ask God to maybe break free from your eyes certain things that have been put on him that really belong to other people who've fallen short. Are y'all tracking with me this morning? He's a good shepherd and he loves the sheep. And he says, look, it just gets hard. It gets hard along the way for some of these hired hands. They just, they run, they hide, they, they blow it. They mess up and then the wolves come in. But then again, he says again, verse 14, I am the good shepherd. You see how he bookends it? I'm the good shepherd. Hey, there's people in your midst that are going to let you down, but I'm the good shepherd. Remember that truth. Hold on to me. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. Verse 16, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold, I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice, so there will be one flock and one shepherd. I want to share just a couple things about that verse 16 again. There's other sheep that he's going to bring into the fold and make one fold. I, I believe there's two things going on in this verse. First of all, big picture, I absolutely believe that Jesus is referring to Gentiles. Remember, he's speaking to a Jewish audience at this point. And I think he's already letting them know, I'm going to bring in sheep from another fold that you don't realize, and they're going to be adopted into the family. And everyone present this morning, if you are a Gentile like me, we should be saying, man, I am thankful for verse 16. I'm thankful that I've been brought into the family of God. Thank you, Jesus. I believe that. I also believe that there are our times, right? We were just talking about the hired hands who've hurt us. I also believe that there are times we're going to be really quick to label other people as not sheep because of mistakes they've made, because of wounds they've caused, because of damage they've done in our life. And Jesus is saying, you know what? Just trust me. There's some sheep out there that I'm working on and I'm going to bring them back into the fold and we're going to be one family. And the question is not only can I let go of those past wounds and let Jesus heal them and be my good shepherd. But will I hand those people over to him and let him sort it out? And if he's able to redeem them and bring them back home, 
can I forgive them the way he's forgiven them? Y'all with me? Let's let him bring sheep back into the fold that he wants to bring into the fold. And let's not assign characteristics to him that don't belong to him. He's the good shepherd. Skipping on down a little bit to verse 27. We're going to look at verses 27 and 28 to kind of wrap up this passage in John. Jesus says again, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Do you see the repetition that is happening throughout this passage? He has said multiple times he's a good shepherd. He's instilling this idea that we hear his voice, that we know him, and that he knows us, and that we follow him. When we repeat something, why do we do that? We repeat it so we'll remember. We repeat things to other people so they'll remember. I'm going to announce at the end of the service that there's Christmas stockings available to grab on your way out. But I already did that, right? Why would I do it again? So you'll remember. Okay, we repeat things that are important that are worth remembering. Jesus is saying, I want to instill this mentality in you that you are living a life where you hear my voice and I know you and you know me and you follow me. And look what he says in verse 28. He says, I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. There's a reason that Jesus is pointing to the eternal. It's what I was talking about at the beginning of this message. We are invited into a nomadic lifestyle where we follow him, we trust him along the way, realizing this planet is not my final destination. But ultimately, fully in Jesus, there is a home for me. There's a place where I belong, where I will find comfort and health. I will find every good thing that I need. And so he's pointing to eternity to remind me it's coming. Now, I, I want to just take two or three minutes and unpack a thought with you guys. And I, I want you to hopefully hear the full thing. And then you can try it on for size at home and figure out if this makes sense to you, okay? I believe that there are some big picture ways that we are called to view Jesus and view the life that we live in him. And that if we will understand these, these pictures that he's giving us, it will make sense of our life. One of those things, I believe, is this idea that I'm talking about right now, that this earth is not our home. And I believe one of our greatest struggles in this life is we spend a whole lot of our time trying to arrange for home right here, right now. And when it doesn't work and we get disappointed and we get frustrated that we can't quite arrange it, we begin to feel like God has let us down and fallen short because we're missing out on that sense of home. Now, I don't mean that we're not supposed to try to have tastes of home. I believe People need a place. They need a home. God, God placed that desire within us. And I believe he will give us tastes of it and glimpses of it right here on this earth. And it's like, it's like a yummy little bite reminding me of what he has ultimately for me in heaven. But I'm, I'm just telling you, if, if we try to make this place our home, and arrange our lives in perfect order, we will be severely disappointed. 
when difficulty and struggle comes along the way, it's going to feel like God is thwarting us. And instead, he's saying, your life is going to be a life of change and of movement. There's going to be seasons where you step into a place and it's an awesome pasture and we enjoy it there. And everything in your heart's going to say, God, can we just camp here for a while? And he's saying, you know what? It's great right now, but in a little while, there's not going to be much to eat here anymore. That well is going to run dry. The wolves are going to figure out we're camped here and they're going to come in. And so we got to move. And he's going to keep us guiding us through life, protecting us, shepherding us, leading us to fresh water, leading us to fresh places to eat. But he's all the while leading us home. He's leading us home. And so I believe as we begin to unpack here what was happening in the church in Sardis, I believe they had just kind of started to settle in. And it just kind of tried to get settled and tried to get complacent. And some things got lost in the midst of that. So let's, let's transition now here and talk about the church in Sardis. I'm going to give you a little background and then we're going to read Revelation chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Jacob, can we start with our map that we've been referring to the last few weeks? Excellent. So if you've been following along, we talked about how John is, is here in captivity on Patmos. And he has this vision from the Lord and he writes this, this whole book of Revelation. It's sent to seven churches. In the midst of that book that was written are these individual letters, but they were meant to be read by all the churches. And so the first letter was to Ephesus, then Smyrna, then Pergamum, then Thyatira. We worked our way up the coast and then we started heading down to Thyatira last week and now we've arrived at Sardis. Y'all tracking with me? Okay, so a little bit about Sardis. Excuse me. It stood on a northern slope of a mountain. It's Acropolis. So it, it had this place that was like a stronghold, a, um, a military outpost that was up on the, on the ridge, on the top of this little mountain ridge. Um, it was on one of the spurs of the mountain, so it was elevated. And then the town itself was down below at the base. There was this river, Pactolus. It served as a moat. And so it basically made the city impenetrable. The Acropolis was up top. They could watch to see who might be coming. And there was this moat around followed by the, the mountain. And so it was a really well-established, fortified city. The problem is two different times, groups of people scaled up to the Acropolis, took it over and conquered the city. Two different occasions, several hundred years apart. You know how they did it? They just weren't keeping watch. They weren't keeping watch. They had everything they needed to be protected and cared for, and they stopped keeping watch, and they were overtaken. Um, do we have a, that next picture? Um, there's kind of a picture here. It'll give you a little bit of an idea. So this is the ruins of a temple um, in Sardis. So this would have been a part of that community there, and then kind of up on that mountain spur there, and then we can't see it, but to the left, there's more of the mountain range. Up there is where the Acropolis was that overlooked and protected this city. It now lies completely in ruins. Um, this ancient city was known for its wool. It was known for its wool. They made clothing out of sheep's wool. It's what they were known for. They also had some wealth due to some gold that they would get from the sand on the river that we talked about. Um, in 17 AD, so this is during the life of Christ. In 17 AD, 
the city was severely damaged by an earthquake. And so the Roman emperor um, not only uh, did away with taxation for five years so they could get their feet back on the ground, but he gave them some gifts to help restore it. And so while the city was kind of rebuilt, um, it never really gained its former importance. And so it really was truly living on reputation. Um, the greatness of the city was based on its old reputation. Now it did survive until about 1402. And in 1402, it was completely destroyed by Tamerlan, um, and it was never rebuilt again. And so now the only thing there is this small little village called Sirt um, that exists there. Otherwise, it's in ruins. Um, another little interesting tidbit, the patron deity of the city was Sybil. She was very similar to the goddess Diana that we talked about a few weeks ago in Ephesus. Um, but there was something unique about her. She was um, considered to have an attribute uh, that restored life to the dead, was one attribute associated with her. Okay, so with that backdrop, let's read this letter. Revelation chapter three, verses one through six. And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars, I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you have received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. You see the imagery connecting back to John where he said the thief comes in because you don't know him, you don't recognize him. He said, you're not going to recognize me when I'm present because there's such a disconnect. Verse four, yet you have still a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. To the one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is one of only two churches that have no conflict going on. If you, if you look at this letter, there's one other church like them, Laodicea, that we'll get to in a couple weeks. The other five churches had some form of conflict. It was either external conflict, they were being persecuted, or internal conflict within the body that needed to be resolved. They had no conflict. It's interesting to me that the two churches that had no conflict, one of them, Sardis, fell into the sleep that was likened to death, the other, Laodicea, became apathetic and lukewarm. There was no conflict, they became complacent, and they just sort of withered away. The other thing that's interesting to note, while there's no good news to be celebrated in this letter to Sardis, there's also no specific doctrinal issue or evil practice that's mentioned. The problem is, it's simply a dead religious group of people with no life in them. There's no identified issue of like you believe this and it's wrong or you're doing this behavior and it's wrong. You're just dead. You're just a religious group of people gathering and there's no real life. And so Jesus' only call to them is to wake up. He simply says, wake up and be strengthened. Remember all that you've heard before, but do it. Hold on to it. Keep it. It's, it's an action where who God is comes alive. See, I can, I can recognize Jesus is the good shepherd and he's there, 
But it's a different thing altogether to actually listen for his voice and follow him in my life. They were aware of the truth of who he was, but they weren't walking in a living relationship with him. Notice Jesus' offer to them. While it's, it's, it's worshiped that there was this Sybil who could bring the dead back to life, he said, you have a reputation like you're alive and you're actually really dead, but I can offer you life. Come to me, repent, I'll breathe new life into you. And he actually uses this supernatural picture of holding the seven spirits and the seven stars. That's representative of the Holy Spirit and of angelic power. Jesus is saying, I'm offering you supernatural life. I'm offering you the ability to have new life breathed into you if you will repent and follow me. I think it's interesting that a, a new believer, a new follower of Jesus, someone that's hearing about him for the first time or is fresh to following him, I believe a new believer is so keenly aware of what life was like without Jesus that the offer of a good shepherd sounds awesome. The offer of a good shepherd brings uh, faith, it brings joy, it brings this sense of like a refreshing new way of living life. I believe it's to the old wizened veteran that we need to be careful how we receive this offer of a good shepherd in our life. I think it's easy for us that have walked with Jesus for a long time to find it the most difficult to believe that he really is a good shepherd because we've gotten some bumps and bruises along the way. We face some difficulty along the way. And if we're not careful, we can be like Sardis and we can just start settling in. I'm safe, I'm protected, life in this valley's pretty good, there's some safety up there on the hill, and I can just begin to arrange my life and settle in. There's two problems with that. One is, I will try to settle in and I'll be met with regular disappointment because I can't arrange things the way I want them. And then what that will do is cause me to distrust the shepherd or I do settle in and I become so complacent that I settle for a sedentary life where I just begin to kind of waste away. Notice the imagery that was used here. Some of you have not yet soiled your garments. Now, I don't wanna get too graphic here, but my brain goes to someone who's bedridden and stuck in bed have, have literally soiled their garments and they can't get up and move and change and it's, we're, they're just kind of wasting away. Saying a lot of you are just laying there complacently and I'm inviting you into an exciting life of following me and walking with me. Look what I have to offer you. Wake up, get up, let's go. You can hear my voice. You can follow me on a grand adventure and I'm leading you home. But listen, church, your home is not here. It's not here. And it's going to be uncomfortable at times, but I'm a good shepherd. I know how to lead you through that. I, I wanna wrap this up this morning by um, doing something similar to what we did last week. I wanna read a passage of scripture as a prayer as we go out this morning. And so we're gonna read through Psalm 23, a, a very familiar, well-known Psalm where David, the shepherd, talks about the real shepherd in his life. And, and I realize this psalm is familiar, but I wanna encourage you this morning to hear it with some fresh ears and a fresh heart and hear God's invitation 
to shepherd us through our lives. And let's make this our own kind of personal prayer this morning. So I'm gonna read this as if it was a prayer. I'll probably uh, change a couple words along the way to, so it sounds like a prayer, like, Lord, you are my shepherd instead of the Lord is my shepherd. So I'm gonna take a little creative license as we pray through this. But we're gonna turn this into a prayer this morning um, and, then, and then hopefully go out of here walking with Jesus, the good shepherd. All right, well, Lord, thank you that you're my shepherd and that I shall not want. Thank you, Lord, that you make me to lie down in green pastures, that you lead me beside still waters. Thank you, God, that you restore my soul. Thank you that you lead me in paths of righteousness for your namesake. God, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. God, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies and you anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Jesus, thank you for being the good shepherd. God, I pray just really simply that if any of us are sleepwalking through our relationship with you, you'd wake us up. God, if any of us have been ripped off by wolves from the outside, or God, if we've been scattered by insiders, hired hands, Jesus, would you recapture us? God, would we re-enter the fold as your sheep? God, would you come be my shepherd, the good shepherd? Lord, help me to hear your voice, to know your voice, to follow you. God, help me to accept the nomadic lifestyle that you're leading me to. God, thank you, you've prepared a wonderful place for us. Thank you that you're leading us and guiding us through this life on our way home. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen.